conjure up for you? Is it a positive word um, or a negative word? I guess most of us uh, will probably immediately think of school, whether you're still there or whether you left a, a few years ago or maybe even a few decades ago in some cases. And those memories may be good, they may be bad, they may be a mixture of, of, the, of the two. I'm sure that some of the teachers will still stick in our minds. I remember three French, French teachers in particular. There was Mr. Cunningham, or Ted, who had absolutely no control of the class, and uh, people used to play up terribly. Uh, he was probably a little bit um, uh, like this one here. Then we had um, Mr. Ward, or Chaz, who ruled with an iron rod, and everybody hated, really. Probably something like this, I think. <laughs> anyway, Mr. Lister, Rod, um, who's actually a good guy. He um, uh, was able to have fun, but took things seriously as well, and built up a good relationship with us. Um, he was a bloke, but um, <laughs> you get the idea. A warm teacher. <laughs> I think this is a government advert for new teachers, I think. But, um, But what about since school? In what situations do you hear the word teach? Is it a positive word to you or a negative word? And what about admonish? If teach may sound a little bit negative, then admonish will probably sound even more negative because um, if teaching implies gaining new knowledge, then admonishing is about almost pointing out where we lack knowledge, where we've gone wrong. It's a bit like a grown-up word for being told off. And nobody likes to be told off. We're in the middle of a series on one anothering, uh, how we help and support one another as the people of God. And so far we've looked at what it means to be devoted to one another in love and to honour one another above ourselves. We've also looked at what it means to forgive one another as Christ forgave us. Those are things which in some ways are quite easy to accept, even if we find them hard to actually put into practice. We can see the benefit if we all practice that. But what about teach and admonish one another? Surely that's a specific role for those who are able to, to teach. And if you th thought to forgive one another was hard, I think in some ways to teach and admonish one another can be even harder. And the reason it's hard is for the same reason that forgive is hard, because it gets right to the heart of our problem, which is our pride. Hopefully well, most of us will want to grow in our knowledge of God, but maybe we, we, we're embarrassed if uh, people know about our lack of knowledge, uh, the struggles we might have in our faith. We're okay coming to church on a Sunday, listening to a sermon. We're okay reading the Bible on our own. But we don't like to be in a situation where we feel exposed, where people know our weaknesses. And we certainly don't want anybody pointing out those weaknesses to us. Trouble is that is pride, isn't it? It's pride that stops us from teaching and admonishing one another. It's pride that stops us one wanting to be taught and admonished. But if we allow God to deal with our pride, then this can help us to grow as God's people more than anything else. And it will allow us to grow deeper in our relationships with one another as we become more honest with one another. I want to look at this uh, verse this morning. Um, very simply by looking at three questions. Why, who, and how. Why is it important to teach and admonish one another? 
How, who should do that and how should we do that? Why teach and admonish one another? Well, the word teach, um, if you do a search, appears 361 times in the Bible and then 41 of the books of the Bible. If you include the word train or instruct, I think there's another 170 odd uh, occasions. Uh, and the word disciple, which means somebody who is being taught, occurs about 300 times. So it's clear that teaching plays a very important part in the life of God's people. God is the ultimate teacher, but he delegates that teaching to the family, to, to the church. In Acts 2, we're told that one of the priorities of the early church was that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They wanted to learn. They wanted to learn about Jesus from those who had learned from him themselves. In so doing, they wanted to learn how they could love and serve him wholeheartedly. Which is why one of our mission statements is to equip each other to love Christ wholeheartedly and live out the gospel in all of life. But is that it? Is that the reason why we teach one another? Well, let's turn back to uh, Colossians um, uh, chapter 1. Uh, just back a, a couple of pages. Colossians 1, 28. And here Paul gives the reason for his teaching ministry. He says, He, Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? So that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. He goes on to say, To this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. This is a real priority for him, isn't it? The purpose of teaching and admonishing one another in Christ is to become mature in him, is to become more like him. And that means to have total confidence in his goodness and in his love for us so that we are sure that he will never let us down, that we will never lose our salvation. Now, the opposite to those who are mature, of course, is those who are immature, or those who are described in Ephesians um, in this way. Oops. Infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. If you've ever been out on the sea on a rough day, maybe you tried surfing or sailing, you'll know just how vulnerable you feel. You're being tossed back and forth. Or try and walk in a straight line in a, in a gale and know what it's like to be blown here and there. And that is what it like, is like, Paul says, when you're exposed to the worldviews, the manipulations of people who don't hold to the truth. Challenge for our children and uh, young people is to sift through all the views that they are being bombarded with, whether at school, in the classroom, in the, in the internet, at home, and for them to come to their own convictions of the truth. It's hard when you're young, we need to pray for our young people, but Paul is saying it's not a question of age here, it's about your maturity in the faith. If you're a new Christian, you're vulnerable to, to false teaching. 
And unless you establish your roots and grow deeper in your faith, you'll remain in that vulnerable situation, being tossed back and forth, being blown here and there. And Paul says it's not just an alternative viewpoint that's being presented. Look what it says here. It's cunning. It's crafty. It's deceitful. When we hear that word cunning, we're reminded um, that behind those who would lead us astray is the devil. He wants to deceive us by undermining our faith in God. And he does that in two ways. He, He tries to make us question God's goodness. He tries to undermine our commitment to to Christ and to each other and make it half-hearted. And that is why membership of the local church is so important. There's no entry level you have to achieve to become a member of the local church other than being a Christian. But to be a member is to say, I'm serious about growing in my faith. I know I can't do it on my own. I know I need the help of others to stand firm. I want to be taught and admonished because my maturity is more important than my pride. And it's also saying, I want to help others stand firm in their faith because their maturity is important to me. He's to say, I'm committed to God and I'm committed to, to others. Which brings us on to the next question, who should do it? Verse 15 starts by saying, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. We are members of one body. And that passage from Ephesians I I read earlier, it uh, says, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. Yes, there will be some who are called to be teachers who have a specific role, ministers of the word who are gifted to do that. But we all have a part to play in the building up of the church in some way. We are called to teach and admonish one another because we are joined and we are held together. This time last year, Pete Shaw came back from a skiing trip um, on crutches after tearing his... um, cruciate ligament in his knee. Ligaments, as I'm sure you medics will know and as some of us will know, um, are the tissue that connects the bone to to the bone. It provides a very strong bond and therefore when it's torn it's it's very painful apparently. Uh, I hope I don't have to experience it. But that's the type of bond that should exist between members of the church. One that cannot normally be torn, that holds us together strongly. We are bound together as each part does its work. And what that means is there'll be times when, when we teach and admonish and times when we are taught and admonished by others. And we have to be ready to do both. As a new Christian, you'll be receiving more teaching than you'll be giving. As a mature Christian, you'll probably be teaching more than you're receiving. But we will never be so mature that we no longer need anybody to teach us. I was reading an article in the latest uh, Oak Hill um, publication and uh, it was written by a lecturer there to realise actually there's quite a big gap in his, his own theological training. So at the same time as lecturing in some subjects, he was sitting in the classroom as a student um, in others. Now, 
In some ways, there's nothing odd about that, is there? Because we all need to be taught. Now, you may ask, well, why do we need others to teach us? Why can't we just see what we need to learn ourselves and just read the Bible on our own? Now, there will be some areas of life that we can see that the Holy Spirit points out to us, but because of sin, we all have our blind spots. Blind spots may be caused by our own experience and personality and background. Everything is filtered through so that we convince ourselves that our way of looking at things is right. And sometimes the Spirit uses somebody else to help us see things from a different perspective. In the case of crises, when our emotions are all over the place and we've just become blind and unable to see things clearly, we need others to help us. But if teaching and admonishing is so helpful and important, then why do we find it difficult to do so? If we do find it difficult... A couple of suggestions I want to make. I think in terms of teaching, it may be, I'm not talking here about teaching in terms of uh, standing at the front and teaching, I'm just saying providing somebody with some wisdom from God's word. Now it may be that we just uh, feel unworthy ourselves. Who are we to teach others? And in many ways it's good that we feel that, that way of humility. But remember that these are not our words we are using. It's not our wisdom. We are pointing people to Christ's words himself to his wisdom and maybe we maybe we just don't really know what to say we don't know where in the bible to turn now that should be an encouragement shouldn't it to us to actually know our bibles better in the course of uh, your your quiet times pray not just that you yourself will be helped as you read god's word that day but that the lord would open your eyes to the struggles of others how you can help them through what you have learned that day that he would put on your heart somebody. We may not um, feel that we just don't know people well enough. Now that should be an encouragement, it shouldn't, again, to get to know people better, to understand their, their, their struggles and issues, not judge them on the surface, because we can't teach people unless we know, know them. Or it may be that we're just afraid of causing offence. That's probably the most common reason, isn't it? Will it be taken in the right way? We don't want to offend, therefore we would rather remain quiet. But this comes back to the question of whether you can be truly loving if you're not prepared to speak the truth. If we love people, if we want what's best for them, how can we stand idly by as they head off blindly down a road that is taking them away from God? How can we let them deceive themselves with, with excuses? How can we let them suffer more through their ungodly response to, to suffering? As Paul Tripp says, he says, The truth is we fail to confront, not because we love others too much, but because we love ourselves too much. We're afraid of what others might think, and we're not ready to go down a route which will involve pain for us before it involves gain for the other person. Come on to our, our final point, though, because if we acknowledge that some teaching and admonishing is the responsibility of all of us, how do we do it? How do we do it? The first thing is we need to have the right attitude. 
And the right attitude is there in verse 12. Have a look um, back at verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. It's an attitude of humility and love that is essential. Which means we first need to examine our own hearts, doesn't it? Before we're able to teach and admonish others. Why are we teaching them? Is it out of a pride to to point out their mistakes? Or is that of a concern for their spiritual growth, their maturity? Think back again about your teachers again. What is it about those teachers that you actually liked, or if you're still at school, that you do like? What is it about them that you like? What is good about them that makes them a good teacher? Isn't it that you feel they have a genuine interest in you? They know how you tick. They know how you learn. And they can actually teach in a way in which you get the best out of the subject. Others may make you feel like, well, you're just another um, cog in the machine, another pupil in the classroom who they have to teach because they just have to do it, because that's what they're getting paid to do. Remember that song by uh, Pink Floyd? goes back a few years now, Another Brick in the Wall. This is a teacher in the, one of the earlier um, uh, illustrations that came up. Now, this is what the lyrics said. We don't need no education. We don't need no thought control. No dark sarcasm in the classroom. It's describing an education system as a sort of sausage factory. The dark sarcasm in the classroom is presumably the teacher who, um, who mocks the people who is slow to learn, who's not keeping up with the rest of them. And that attitude should be very different from the attitude to teaching that goes on in the church. If we have the right motivation to see everyone mature in Christ, then we will have the right attitude of humility and love. But we can have the right attitude but still be poor at teaching and admonishing. Because as John Stott wrote, truth becomes hard if it is not softened by love. Love becomes soft if it is not strengthened by truth. We can be so desperate to maintain a harmony and unity on the surface and avoid conflict that in the process we sacrifice basic truth. It's not just how we teach, but what we teach. And what we should be using is the word of Christ. Look at verse 16, what it says. It starts with, let the message, the word of Christ, dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. (coughs) Teaching and admonishing one another is not about pointing out people's mistakes and making them feel bad is about pointing them back to the word of Christ to the gospel of grace reminding them of God's love for them despite any failures reminding people of their identity in Christ the promise of forgiveness the gift of the Holy Spirit 
We need to remind each other again and again of the gospel. And when it says here, teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, it is referring to the wisdom of Christ that can be found in the word of Christ. I'm sure many of us will know 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16, one of those memory verses we might have learnt as a child if we were in church as a child. All scripture is God-breathed, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In God's word, we have all the resource, all the wisdom we need to teach and admonish. But what does it say before that, before it actually goes on to that? It says, let the message, the word of Christ, dwell among you richly. In order for us to be able to use the word of Christ to help someone, to apply it in someone's situation, we need to allow it to dwell in us richly. That's a great phrase, isn't it? Dwell in us richly. We live at a time when there are huge resources of information out there. Um, we can go online and find out anything we want virtually. We can go on to um, Bible websites and uh, find out all the uses of the word teach. We can ask Siri to tell us. Similar to the Bible, we can, we can find out the information, but those verses don't dwell in us, do they? Even if we were to memorize them, and that is a good thing to do, that doesn't necessarily mean they dwell in us. For us to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, we must allow it to, to sink into our being, to nourish our spirit. I think in one of the words of the songs earlier, to drench our soul, to affect our heart, soul, and mind. Which is where the singing psalms, hymns, and songs from the spirit comes in. That allows the truth of God's word to penetrate deep into our inner being. Letting the word of Christ dwell within us richly is creating this, this deposit that the Holy Spirit can draw on when we want to teach somebody else. And to amass those riches, to create that deposit, we can't get away from the need to read the Bible consistently. To make time to, to take in the word as, as food, to eat and digest as we pray over it. There was a blog um, by R.T. Kendall sent around with the Louvre this week, if you received that, which um, he says is the most important blog that he's written in years. Um, in it, he mourns the fact that many Christians just don't read their Bibles. And he writes this, he reads, writes, Once we give up the conviction that the Bible is the only infallible word of God, we open ourselves to a strange world out there that may include the Holy Spirit, but also, if not equally, the realm of the demonic. Do not be surprised. Satan masquerades as an angel of light. The devil will work overtime to keep Christians from reading the Bible. He would love you to close it and just wait on God. And he carries on, read the Bible and you'll be thrilled to discover how often God gives you a word. A word basically means the unfolding of God's secret will when he speaks directly to you. God does this, but I can predict Chase after a word all the time, and you'll probably receive nothing from God. Chase after Holy Scripture, and he will give you words whenever you need them. The word of God, we're told, is living, it is active, 
It's not just a collection of nice stories. It's not just about how to be made right with God. It gives us the wisdom to be able to live as God's people in this world as we await the Lord's return. And if we're going to be a source of great encouragement and support to one another, then let's let ourselves be immersed in God's word. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Let's have a moment to just um, respond to that quietly on our own. What is God saying to you this morning through his word? How can you be a source of encouragement to others? A moment of quiet to, to reflect on what has been taught this morning. Father God, we do thank you that we are part of your church and we thank you that your church is here, that we can be encouraged by others and we can encourage others and that one source of encouragement is teaching and admonishing and we thank you that you've given us all we need to do that. You've given us your word from which we can draw with all its riches Lord, give us the right attitude with which we can teach others. And give us the the riches with which to do that. Let us draw upon those and uh, allow ourselves to be taught by them first as we then allow others to benefit from that teaching. Lord, we want to grow in maturity. We want to, to see others grow in maturity. That is your goal for us. We pray that would be our goal for us as well. So Lord, help us to use the resources you've given us to do that. And if there's anything that's uh, holding us back, Lord, that's hindering us, take it away, Lord, we pray. Whether it's our pride, whether it's other distractions, Lord, which prevent us from going deeper into your word. Lord, we pray that you'd build up your church in this place. In Jesus' name. Amen.